You're listening to Titan Nature's Yellowstone, a podcast for those that don't get out, can't get out, or can never get enough. Sponsored by Think Tank Photo. Think Tank Photo designs camera carrying solutions for working professionals. Uh, welcome to another episode of Tied to Nature's Yellowstone. I have George and Jenny with me today of A Yellowstone Life. Welcome, George and Jenny. Good How morning, you? Adam. Good morning. morning. So a, a Yellowstone Life. Um, let's start with what is, what's the Yellowstone Life? <laughs> what is a Yellowstone Life? Well, George and I have been here for just about 20 years now, and a Yellowstone Life really started several years ago as a desire to share our experiences with other folks for a couple of different reasons. One, to connect them more deeply to Yellowstone, but also um, to help inspire people to live a life that's closer to nature, closer to animals, more connected to place. And so for us, a Yellowstone Life is is kind of about a lifestyle that you can live anywhere really. And so we have a blog, a website, a yellowstonelife.com, and we have social media, you know, Facebook and Instagram and, and some online courses. And so those are the ways in which we try to connect people more deeply to the park and to, to nature. That's great. Cause I've enjoyed the Yellowstone life and following along is for, it's what you described as the exact same thing I'm trying to do with tied to nature. You know, I have yeah. all these different things, but my thing is, you know, for those that don't get out, can't get out or can never get enough, you know, whether yeah. that's in Yellowstone or yeah. wherever they're at. So, but, you know, going before a Yellowstone life, you know, what's your background that brought you up to that point? You know, George, um, if you haven't listened already, I have George and he introduced himself a little bit. Um, so if you haven't listened to that, go listen to that one. But George and Jenny, tell us a little bit about your background. I know, I mean, it's a, I think it's a wide variety from art and photography and writing and, you know, where does all this intertwine with the Yellowstone life? You want to go first? Sure. Sure. You know, um, I, you know, had the background in wildlife ecology and Jenny and I met when I was in graduate school at Virginia Tech. So all the way across the country. And, and she had worked out here in Yellowstone for a little bit. And when uh, she was ready to change gears from working there for the university and when I was done with my thesis, um, I, I said to her, I'm happy to go wherever you want to go. <laughs> as long as there's some woods and water and things to run around in as a, as a curious naturalist, I'd be happy most anywhere. And um, so she, um, she wanted to come back here, which was a, a great thing. And she'll fill in more of the details on her end. But it was, in a lot of ways, it was kind of a rebirth for me in terms of reinvesting in those things that most inspired me and drove me to want to be in, in the natural resources field to begin with. You know, I kind of got caught up in the, the research end of things and I loved it and it was great, but I still felt like there are pieces of me missing. And so after moving to Yellowstone, actually um, starting teaching a lot more um, courses and then guiding, you know, individuals and things. Um, but also the artwork came back into my life. I grew up around it. My mom's a sculptor and kind of loved that and loved nature, but got away from the art for a while. And after Yellowstone, it was a, a great opportunity actually to recombine those two. Good. Yeah. Doing? So 
Um, my background is I have degrees in wildlife science and in recreation and tourism. And I spent probably a couple decades running educational programs, um, outdoor programs for Virginia Tech, um, programs along the Appalachian Trail, and um, a variety of different conservation and education things. And then um, yeah, I had worked out here seasonally in 1997 on a coyote research project, and I actually wasn't doing the coyote research. I was uh, doing coordinating their citizen science programs. I lived up in Cook City, okay. and that was my introduction to Yellowstone and um, fell in love. And so we actually came out here on our honeymoon, which is a whole nother crazy story. <laughs> but um but and then celebrated our one year anniversary, you know, after we got married, I just started applying for every job I could with the Yellowstone. It was the Yellowstone Association at the time. And they finally hired me to be campus manager out at the Buffalo Ranch. So we spent our first couple summers at living at the Buffalo Ranch, which was just, as you can imagine, amazing. Yes. Yes. I, I applied for that one time, but it was four kids. And later on, it was like, there's no way that's going to work out there, but just kind of a dream. That's, that's great. And actually I met you first, Jenny, with the um, yeah. Yellowstone Association. And yeah. I remember that same summer, I didn't meet George, but I was um, uh, at one of those trainings at Mammoth. And I remember George sitting right in front of me and talking about Sandhill Cranes and they're mm. coming back in their calls and I thought, mm, I need to need, I need to know this guy. Who is he? But that's great. So, and, you know, mentioning a Yellowstone life, I mean, you guys are in Gardner, Montana. So if you have a really good arm, you could throw a rock into Yellowstone, couldn't you? Yeah, pretty much. There's one property between us and the park, and that's Yellowstone Forever, um, which, you know, they're great to have as neighbors. Yeah. And we look right into the park and um, have national forests on the backside of our house. So, um, we feel pretty, pretty fortunate. So, you know, it's about, about as close to Yellowstone as you can get, I think. Yes. Yeah. And with that, I mean, you, you have, you know, watching your um, Facebook and things. I mean, you have everything there in your yard. I think you're close to whether that's bears coming through wolves, elk, bison, you know, bighorn sheep up there. What's it like yeah. living with that as your backyard? It's pretty, I don't know, we have to pinch ourselves still sometimes, even after all these years, uh, just how magical it really is. And, uh, but it's interesting too, you know, it also is that interface with the non-park world too. And so you see all the different sides of the wildlife issues that, you know, often crop up in the news um, regarding the Western states, you know, so the interface with livestock and, you know, the human dominated landscape, even though it's still pretty pretty rural and wildernessy. So it's 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 a double-edged sword, you know, and, and it comes with um a lot of the the greatest greats of the highlights you can imagine, but also some of the greatest sadnesses too, like getting to know specific animals, for instance, and and seeing the full arc of their life, including their deaths, you yeah. know, and and how unpleasant that is. And I think a lot of people forget about that piece of it that there is so much a part of living in a place like this that you don't think about that's, you know, we just had a magpie fly by the window, they're nesting. So you see it from the start to the end um, in all of its glory and, 
and gore too. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you, about, Adam, uh, you know, let me just add really quick. You, you have kids. And so, you know, the other part that's interesting about living with wildlife is, I mean, we love it. We wouldn't have it any different way, but it, it changes parenting a little bit in that, you know, we're big proponents of the idea of, you know, kick your kids outside and let them go run and play. And then you're like, oh, but it's elk calving season and they yeah. might get attacked by a mama elk or, you know, they saw a mountain lion tracks on the driveway yesterday. And, you know, so it it's um, it's interesting raising raising a kid here, as you know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I was going to ask is, you know, we don't have near the backyard that you do. We have things we have to get out a little further. We might get bear tracks in the spring or something. But uh, our kids can go right up and down and I have no problem getting outside. And so that's what I was going to ask is, you know, it must be different. But at the same time, I think that kind of prepares them for actually being out in Yellowstone. Just act like you're at home, you know, the same type of thing, maybe, you know, if you're out hiking or um, maybe some of the same rules that they're playing outside with. Yeah, you know, he's pretty little George or young George um, is pretty aware, you know, he, and he has been since he's been a little kid. I mean, but they're still kids. So yep. you worry that they may not be paying as much attention when you're out there, but you know, he knows how to avoid bison and elk and he's old enough now to carry bear spray and um, you know, all that stuff, but it definitely adds a different, <laughs> a different dimension. And the other thing is we get to know the seasonality of the animals here, which helps. So, you know, there's times when we just know they're really, it would be really, really rare for there to be a bear around. So sure, you know, go play in the woods down the road. It's fine. You yeah. know, that kind of stuff. Um, but like right now it's bears are emerging from dens. So we make sure that there's bear spray everywhere and, you know, watch them a little more closely. And, you know, it reminds me, actually, I was just listening to, I just, I did an interview with Julianne Baker about hiking. Um, and nice. I'm just listening to that before it's going to be released this week. We were talking about safety and, you know, I think for us, it's something that's more commonplace here. Whereas, you know, if I was raising my kids in New York city, it'd be a completely different thing. So, you know, those kids have something else and a, a different type of thing they have to worry about. Whereas they, you come to here and it's just out of their element. Like all of us, you know, some, somewhere along the way, you know, it's just natural for us to think, oh, we got animals in the yard and somebody else in New York City might be think, you know, it's a completely different lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. I was visiting friends on the, the Upper East Side of Manhattan a couple of years ago, and I was staying on the Upper West Side, you know, and the divide between there is essentially Central Park. And, you know, total example of of hayseed in the in the big city, you know, I'm visiting them at their apartment and it gets to be late after dinner and I'm going to go back and they're like, oh, how are you going to head back over to your hotel? And I said, oh, I was, I'll, that's probably just going to walk. You know, and they're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> Not at this hour. Take the Metro. You know, they even yeah. gave me their pass to to get on the bus and, and ride that short distance across Central Park. Because unlike us, you know, where you know exactly when and where things show up and how to avoid the trouble. Yeah, the reverse was true. I had no clue that you just don't do that. <laughs> yeah. You weren't packing your bear spray with you. No, oh, no, not at all. Yeah. Well, so with, with living in that area, how's, how's Gardner? I mean, how's the schools there? The groceries is, I mean, there's, I think there's trade-offs for everything. I mean, for me, for a big grocery shopping trip, I 
I drive 45 minutes down to the the closest you know, big grocery store to get anything. How's it in Gardner? Well, first of all, we love Gardner. I mean, the community here is pretty wonderful. It's quite an interesting mix of park employees, um, longtime ranchers and outfitters, and just um, a very neighborly feel among people, which is really, really nice. Um, and so there are a lot of upsides. There are also downsides too. Um, some of the upsides though, I should continue to say, are we have a great grocery store. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's nice that Gardner is bounded by public land, so it can't grow and sprawl too much. So we really value that. But those are the things that also are challenges and make living here a little bit difficult sometimes as well. George might speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I've served on our school board, um, just stepped off this last May and helped run our, our school, new school foundation. It's been in existence for a couple of years to help our school, which has been um, tops in the in the state. It's a great school. It's an amazing school, K through 12. Um, you know, when I first started on the school board, it was, I think, 170 kids. Um, but some of the demographics, but also some of the economics of the area have drastically changed that situation. So we have around 150 students in the school right now. And people ask, well, how many kids are in your son's grade, you know, or class, you know, like 13, yeah. like, so that that's his class. They're like, no, that's his grade. Yeah. <laughs> that's the whole grade, <laughs> which is amazing, you know, and historically it's, it's played out. We have you know, kids from these, this school that have gone to Ivy League schools or all over, you know, anywhere they've wanted to go, done a great job. Um, but what part of what's fueling some of the, the difficulties with not just the school, but the community as a whole is like a lot of places throughout the country and, and certainly the West, the real estate market has really changed the equation. So um, folks, you know, of very modest means are already priced out of housing here in Gardner. And it's very difficult because of the VRBO situation, the vacation rental um, opportunities that help some residents actually afford to live here yeah. nowadays. Um, and then on top of that, a lot of investment style um, VRBO folks have eaten up all of the, the rental housing, short-term housing here for folks who live here, work here, um, and and would like to live and work here. So even for teachers, we've we've just uh, through the foundation bought our first piece of property to renovate for teacher housing because a teacher making thirty forty thousand dollars a year is automatically um, priced out of lodging here, including even on up into the you know the administrator levels of of income. It's virtually impossible to to find a house here, which is unfortunate. And yeah. so not only that, you know, every time you lose a kid, um, you lose funding yeah. for school programs and that affects the school's budget just to spend on education and stuff. And, you know, obviously if you don't have new families coming in, you don't have new income for the school. And it's just, that part is very difficult, um, for people who love their community so much and the things that make it great. Um, seeing these trends that are really jeopardizing those things we value a whole bunch about living here. And yeah. Gardner's not incorporated. So there's right. a, essentially no good way to make 
rules or boundaries on what can happen okay. in that regard. That's good. Yeah. One of the reasons I bring that up is I think a lot of people come out here and, you know, I've had a lot of friends that, um, or you hear a lot of stories, how oh, we came out here and we just stayed because we loved it so much. And, you know, there's so much great about it, but, you know, we have some of those same things in Island Park with the VRBOs and employee housing. And I know Jackson and these surrounding areas, you know, it's, it's a great area to live, raise the kids, but there's some trade-offs that can make it more difficult living in the areas as well. But yeah. you know, getting into with, you know, the Yellowstone life, do you both have different roles in how you do the Yellowstone life? Or I think Jenny, are you more of the writer, right? Do you do the writing? And I know you have some photography. Yeah, that's a great question. We, we do, we overlap some, but we do have things each of us are much better at and, um, or, you know, that we enjoy individually. And so we both do the writing. Um, George will do some of the writing too. I do a lot, most of the editing (laughs) for both of us and some of the writing. And I do almost all of the photography, which has become, you know, sort of become again, a real passion for me. And George does a lot of the front facing teaching kind of stuff. I don't really love to be on camera. Okay. And so it's, and I'm not, I don't have the level of um, deep knowledge about animals in the park as George does from all his years teaching and guiding. And so he tends to do more of the front facing, you know, videography stuff. We always put him on camera instead of me. Yes. And I'm behind saying, no, no, that's not the way I want you to say it. Do it again. Yeah. She's really the, uh, the sorcerer behind the, the curtain on all this stuff in a lot of ways. Cause yeah, if it was, if we just, we just uh, segment our approach in in a good way that complements each other. I think yeah. is, is really nice. That's nice. So, you know, how often do you get into the park? Well, um, it never feels like as much as we would like. Um, we strive to spend at least a couple days in the park every week. You know, this time of year we try to make it a whole lot more. And yeah. as you know, it's hard to balance the office stuff that it takes to run a digital business, um, as well as, you know, being able to have the time to spend all you want in the park. You know, you can't tell stories about Yellowstone if you're not in Yellowstone, but then there's a whole bunch behind the scenes that has to happen. So, um, anyway, that was a long answer to your question, but probably two, two or three days a week. And then in the summer, you know, because we have arranged our life around, our own business and being able to tell these stories. And um, we spend a lot of time in the park in the summer, a lot of camping, a lot of backpacking. So canoeing, canoeing. But that's also balanced against like you were talking about earlier, how we have a lot of the same stuff that's in the park here (laughs) uh, around the house. So we're out literally every day walking the dog and just being out. And, you know, this morning the dog and I were navigating around bison you know, on our morning stroll and watching the the red tail hawk and, um, you know, all those little things in between. So the, the lessons and opportunities to, to really enrich our own days and, and tell those stories is, is kind of runs a thread through everything. Yeah. So when you go into Yellowstone, do you have goals? You're like, Hey, we want to go do this today. We want to teach this. We want to do this. Or are you sometimes just going in, let's just go spend the day and see what happens? Yeah, a little more of the latter, I think. Okay. Yeah, we we have a running list of places. You know, it's like no matter how many lives you lead, you know, you would never 
cover the ground of, of a Yellowstone. It's like over 2 million acres. And even if you stuck just to that, you're never going to hit all those places, but we still keep a list of, we've never hiked over there and we've never, you know, gone and sat on that hill or, you know, and so yesterday we went and did a little bit of road watching, but we got the heck off the road and, and just put ourselves into a, a nice semi-remote spot and spent the day there. That's where the good stuff is in our mind. You know, you yeah. just go wander and you run into stuff that nobody, if maybe a couple people a year will ever see. But yeah. it does come with responsibility, you know, it, and I guess George touched on that a little bit is you have to, I mean, you know, in Yellowstone, you have to be aware of your surroundings at all times. I mean, you can think you don't see any animals or any carcasses or anything. And all of a sudden you come across this little dip you couldn't see and oh, there's a steaming fresh bison carcass and you're just wanting to get out of there as fast as you can um, to try to avoid any bears. And there's also, we try to be very, very cognizant of how we impact animals. I mean, everywhere we go, whether it's on a trail or not, there's a big ripple effect of our actions. And that's a lot of what we teach about is how to be tuned into the wildlife around us. And so when we go out, anywhere. It's always, always on our mind. How is our behavior impacting the animals we come across and how can we minimize that impact? Yeah. And, you know, with what you're saying, it's, it's something I try to talk about a lot on here is, you know, responsibility, safety. You know, I, I mentioned that when I tell some stories of things that I've done is, you know, I have to preface it with, you know, I know what I'm doing. I carry the bear spray. I know the area. Um, but also, you know, speaking of wandering, you know, the principles of leave no trace, which if you look, you know, the, the hiking episode that I did, we talk about leave no trace and those principles that, you know, there's, there's responsibilities when you're going out there and you're leaving the roadway or even, you know, staying on the roadway, there's things you have to do. Uh, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. So was it last year that you did the canoe trip? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Sorry, if you have a specific question, no, I just otherwise gonna, I'll start rambling. <laughs> no, that's great because I love following along and that that's a dream of mine someday to be able to do that. And so I'm I'm interested on in how that was and how that all came to be, do that that canoe trip around Yellowstone Lake. Yeah, that was a bit of a gift of COVID because we were <laughs> planning to send our son to my mom's house in New York. Okay. And and we were going to do a backpack together. Right. We were we were planning to hike from the south border of the park home on the north border. And uh, we're all gearing up for that for the whole year and then at the last minute decided not to pull the trigger and keep George home and and just take off by ourselves in something that was manageable for all three of us. Okay. So and uncharacteristically, it was kind of a last minute trip we put together and um, it's just amazed we got the backcountry permits, but we put in at Grant Village and we came out at Sedge Bay. It was 70 some odd miles. I'd have to look back at our blog post and, you know, we went into each of the arms and basically spent a couple nights down in the bottom of each arm. So it wasn't a very aggressive um, paddling itinerary, except for just the length of it. Yeah. Um, and we are also very, very cautious about wind and waves and that cold water. And so we picked, we didn't have very long travel days, you know, yeah. um, we were almost always in camp by noon, um, which is about when the wind starts to whip up and, and get pretty dangerous. So we had lots of quiet leisure exploration time 
in the wilderness away from people, which was just one of the most amazing things ever. And, you know, like most families, I think um, most families can relate. It was really nice to get away from home and be somewhere else where we didn't have to worry about COVID. We didn't have to worry about the crazy crowds in the park, which were insane. Um, And talk about social distancing, go to the the most remote area in the lower 48. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And where our, our closest neighbors were grizzly bears and moose and things yeah. like that, beavers. Yeah, it was really nice. And that's, I think, a theme through a lot of our adventures and our, our Yellowstone life is we're not adventure seekers. We're not high adrenaline, you know, junkies, extreme distance hikers or climbers or any of that. Like literally, Adam, we went out yesterday. We went to a cool place where we had a viewpoint. And we took a nap. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> like we just sprawled out, laid our heads on our packs and, and took a nap in the sun for a while. And, and you know, that's what I enjoy about this life with Jenny is we're, we're kind of on the same gear as far as speeds. You know, it's like we're really into the details of stuff, really enjoy, you know, sitting and watching something in one spot, but just enough of, of drive to to get to a high point or get to that mountaintop. But we aren't breaking our necks doing it. We want to enjoy the, the journey. Yeah. Oh, with the lake, I'm curious, have you, either of you been over that way before? George and I have been on the lake a bunch, probably, okay. what, half a dozen times, maybe? Over through the, on, by the arms in that south side of the lake? Yeah, we'd never okay. done that whole, we've been to the south arm several times. Okay. And um, that's really about it, actually. We had never seen some of the other parts. So it was a dream of ours to go from end to end and do it self-propelled. You know, a lot of times, especially when George was smaller, we would take one of the paid boat shuttles from, you know, the park lodges and they dump us off at the top of the South arm. And then we'd get down to the deep wilderness stuff a lot quicker with a lot less stress of paddling with a little kid. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but so it was, it was a big adventure for all of us to do it completely self-propelled this time around. Yeah. Was there anything over there that you were surprised by or any moments that were kind of like, wow, this is not what we expected? Well, we'd never been in the Southeast arm and, and that's, that touches into the thoroughfare kind of area of the region. And that's it, furthest from a road in the lower 48 States. And we literally, Adam stepped out of the canoe as it ran up onto the gravelly shore and took that first step almost into a huge huge set of grizzly tracks (laughs) and that was the theme for the that stay down there is there were you know dusty trails you know the main hiking trail that goes into the some of that deep uh, remote country was right near the campsite and there was not a single boot track not a single horse track it was paved in grizz tracks (laughs) and for us we're just like yes this is great yeah but we also didn't sleep very well i'll tell (laughs) you that i'm (laughs) sure uh, You know, the other thing about the Southeast arm that was surprising to us after so many times being on the South arm is, you know, the waves and the wind did not behave in ways that we were expecting. Um, You know, the, just the wind patterns and everything were very different. It's a much bigger arm than the South arm. And so we, everything we expected about traveling with or without wind was kind of tossed on its head. So we really had to be nimble um, with our 
our paddling skills, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The Delta was really cool where the Yellowstone river dumps into Yellowstone Lake. That Delta it has one of the highest beaver populations, if not the highest beaver population in all of Yellowstone. So we, we poked in there just a little bit and my gosh, there were just every 20 to 40 feet was another beat down dirt beaver path dropping in or out and coming out of the water and cuttings all over and lodges. And that was really cool to see. So I, I want to kind of compare. So you were back in the back country, I mean, away from everybody. And it's awesome that you could do that. But I was just thinking of an experience I know that you had, Jenny, two years ago, where just off the road, in that Grizzly Lake area, you watched a courting pair of grizzly bears. Yes. 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 And, you know, I think it's awesome that, you know, and kind of what you've, you've talked a little bit about, you know, just walk off the road, maybe take a nap, that you can see things, you know, right off the road, or you can go clear back into the backcountry and have incredible experiences too. So, I mean, it doesn't matter where you're at in Yellowstone. There are some great opportunities and great things that you can witness. Oh, it's so true. And, you know, honestly, if really what you want to see are a whole bunch of animals, um, the roadside's the quickest, best way to do it. I mean, that whole trip, uh, 11 days on the lake, we saw, and I actually was the only one who saw them, I think two black bears. So even with all those grizzly bear tracks and looking and trying, you know, to see one from a distance, um, we never did see a grizzly. And so, but yet, yeah, those courting grizzly bears were right there on the side of the road. So um, you don't have to do that kind of crazy backcountry experience to to see the animals and, um, you know, other things that make Yellowstone special. Yeah. Do you guys ever, do you have any, I guess, adventures coming up, anything planned for this summer that you're excited for? Take it by day by day. Yeah, we're going to try to do a little bit of backpacking. We're, you know, because of the nature of this year and the pandemic, um, usually I have our summer nailed down, you know, months in advance and all the reservations and everything. But we are a little more flexible nowadays. But we'll get out in the camper some in the fall and we'll do a backpacking trip probably here in early summer at some point. So. And here's a question. I'm always curious. So let's say you you have a, a day pack. You're going out. What's in your pack? What do you what do you take with you? Hmm. You want to answer that? Well, I'm not a great example. When I teach <laughs> classes, I make sure I am a much better example. <laughs> when I go out myself, I'm definitely a little more Spartan probably than I should be. Probably in all honesty, because I lean a little bit on Jenny's. He takes me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) True, true. But you know, the, the basics, as you know, it can snow here any month of the year. So we always have extra layers. You know, I kind of think from the bottom up, the things you use least in the bottom, um, are things like extra layers, you know, a windbreaker, uh, extra fleece, maybe even gloves and a knit hat, um, a water bottle or two, are definitely going to be in there. First aid kit. You hope you don't have to need to use, but that's that's in there. Um, bear spray, bear, bear spray, spray, bear spray. spray. Yep. Always. Yeah, yeah. That's leave the American Express home and take your your bear spray because that's way more <laughs> yeah. essential. Uh, I always bring a sketchbook. You know, we always have our our phone. Now I've I used to have fourteen different devices, and then I, of course I rely mainly on a. An, uh, a smartphone that isn't hooked up as a 
phone. I just use it for camera and video and sound recordings and stuff like that. Notes. Um, you know, at this time of year, a cup might have a different hat or two, you know, in there, one with a visor. I'm also keeping in there, um, my binoculars, you know, obviously I wear those externally, but you know, like yesterday I packed the spotting scope in there in a tripod because we knew we were going to do that, but it's a little heavy to do as a general take along. What do you like is for binoculars? What do you use for binoculars? You know, I've used a, a number of different ones over the years. And right now I have two different pairs. One that's kind of a light packable pair made by, um, I think it's Olympus, the Papilio. They're close focusing because I do a lot of butterfly watching and insect okay. watching too. Those focus really close, but they're, um, they're definitely on the more economical, low priced end. And then my standby binoculars are the Swarovski 10 by 42s. Um, very good glass, high quality, clear images throughout. And then the spotting scope is also Swarovski. And I use, I like to carry a small pair of Leica binoculars. And I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head. They're Trinovids. Seven by 35, maybe. No, I think they're something like eight by 24s or something in that neighborhood. Something, but you know, they, a lot of people like bigger binoculars because they'll let more light in, but I like the binoculars I'll carry. So, you know, we invested in a really good pair of small binoculars for me. And I do, I take them everywhere. So, yeah. Well, I just ordered, I've, I've used Zeiss, which I've been happy with. And I've always done eight by 42s and I made a very expensive mistake. (laughs) No, I looked at both of mine. I said, oh, they're eight by 32s. I didn't recognize it, but um, I liked it. They're actually lighter. I guess it's not an expensive mistake, but I was expecting something different, but they're a little lighter. And so very good viewing still, but. I've enjoyed yeah. those. I usually do the eight by 42s, which I like. Yeah. yeah. When talking optics, it's, you know, I always come back to the, the best pair of binoculars you're going to have are the ones you're actually going to use. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're scared to, to mess up your high dollar binoculars on a hike, or if they're too heavy to, to really carry around your neck or what have you, then they're not the right ones for you. Yep. You know, pick ones that you know you're going to use and, and get to familiar with using them before you head out into a place where you might see something that's a once in a lifetime. Yeah. Experience. And, you know, I'll mention for you and me, I mean, binoculars are important. That's part of what we do. So Zeiss and Swarovski. Um, I mean, I've had Nikons and Vortex, you know, cheaper yeah. pairs of binoculars that, you know, if you're not using them every day as part of your work, you may not need the, the Zeiss or Swarovski. And I just right. think it's important if you're coming to Yellowstone to have a pair of binoculars, whatever it is. Yeah. Optics are so key because, um, you are dealing with such big distances that in order to really know it's out there, but also as a way to, even if it's way far away at the start, it may be moving in such a way that it's going to come closer. But if you didn't have the ability to see it, you wouldn't be able to plan for that kind of thing too. You know, I, I'd even say back East when I started birding and things, I, um, I used, usually used eight or seven power binoculars. And when I bought this last pair of Swarovski um, binoculars, I went with tens. You know, they're a little more powerful and a little more challenging without practice to get a small bird in the view as it's flying overhead. But it gives you just a little more reach in these longer, longer distances. Jenny, I was going to ask you, what kind of camera do you use? So I use an Olympus mirrorless camera. It's an OMD EM1 Mark II. Just okay. such a long, crazy name to say. 
Um, and I have a couple of favorite lenses. I, I'm a Zoom person. A lot of people will use prime lenses, but I just really like to be able to change, um, you know, that sort of focal length. And so I use a 100 to 400 Panasonic lens, which is an equivalent in a regular uh, DSLR. It's 200 to 800 millimeters. And then my other lens that I like is a 12 to 100, so 24 to 200, basically. And that's what I use 99% of the time. Okay. Yeah. And that's you know something else that I was curious because, I mean, you, you see Nikon and um, Sony and Canon and Olympus, there's everything. You know, I don't think there's one that's necessarily better than the other one. I always tell people it's like a Ford Chevy thing, you know, you know, they all do the job. <laughs> they all get it done. Yeah. yeah. And what we're doing is mostly digital. You know, I do have a website where I, people can buy prints if they want, but it's not really a huge focus. And so I'm more focused on videography and digital storytelling and images than I am on printing really high quality, large, huge yeah. fine art prints. So that also impacts my camera choice. Yeah. yeah. We'll also use the spotting scope shooting, you know, with an iPhone through the scope. You know, so it's not super high quality stuff, but it's reaching out there to capture some of those rare things that you might normally not get a chance to to view along the road or for photograph with a conventional setup. Yeah, I do that a lot. It's amazing how a scope and an mm -hmm. iPhone can record something a mile off and yeah. be pretty decent. But yeah, I don't want to take any more of your time, so I appreciate you joining me today. But why don't you just tell us? where to find yet. I mean, whether it's your photographs, your art, the Yellowstone life, where can people find you? Yep. So a Yellowstone life is just simply a yellowstonelife.com. And you'll find all of our stuff there related to wildlife and animal language, as well as um, information we put together about how to explore Yellowstone in a, in a better way, how to do Yellowstone better, you could say. So, um, and George's artwork is georgebuman.com. So, and that's B as in boy, U, M as in Mary, A, N, N, two Ns.com. That just has the, because I'll be out there sculpting, you know, and people will enjoy seeing that roadside, which is not something you often see. Sometimes you'll see painters, but <laughs> not, not very many sculptors. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll have those in the show notes so everybody can go and just click, click the links to find those as well. But uh, thank you for being here and thank you for everybody else tuning in to another episode of Tied to Nature's Yellowstone. Thanks for listening to Tied to Nature's Yellowstone, the podcast for those that don't get out, can't get out, or can never get enough. Keep up to date with Tied to Nature and Think Tank Photo on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube.